Welcome to That's What She Did. This is one of your hosts, T, along with Michelle Talbert, and we're coming to you every day during the month of March to bring you these stories of inspiring everyday Wonder Women that you've probably never heard of. So grab a mimosa and buckle in. We're about to begin. Hey, T, how are you doing? I'm good, Michelle. How are you? I am awesome. It's another fabulous day here. That's what she did. How could I not be awesome? That's <laughs> <laughs> right. Every day is a fabulous day, and that's what she did. I think so, definitely. Um, and today, I'm uh, super excited because I'm bringing the, you know how you see buildings and buildings have names on them, and you really don't know anything about the people behind the names. Yes. And I don't know that I purposely necessarily think of it being a man's name if it's only the last name on the building but there is a, a school in Maryland called Coppin State College and I never paid attention to who Coppin was so let's talk about who Coppin was okay so Coppin is a person yes, and we now name. have established <laughs> that Coppin is not a man Coppin is not a man Okay. Exactly. No, I want to learn all about what she Fanny did. Fanny Jackson Coppin. I'm going to tell you because that's what she did. <laughs> she did <Okay>. that. <laughs> <laughs> so Fanny Jackson Coppin was a, we'll call her a trailblazer um, in the education space. She was born in 1836 and went in, in Washington, D.C. And when she was born, um, she was born into slavery. Because at the time before her birth, her father was only able to save up enough money. Um, sorry, her grandfather was only enough save enough money for himself and four of his six children. So oh. two of his children remained in bondage, one of whom was Fanny's mom. Oh my God. I want to say that again. Fanny's grandfather was able to save up a certain amount of money, but only enough that he had to make the hard choice between of his six children, which four he would purchase freedom for, including himself. So he and four of his children, he purchased freedom for two of stayed in bondage, one of whom was Fanny's mom, Lucy. So gut-wrenching. These are I can't imagine. Yeah, it's just beyond. I mean, obviously it's beyond. Yeah. Like you say, sometimes the truth will set you free, but first it will piss you off. But we're about to be set free because Fanny was pretty, pretty, pretty badass. That's why we're talking about her today. Um, she was born a slave, right? Okay. Her aunt, Sarah, was so impressed with her as a little girl with Fanny that she became determined to buy the little girl's freedom. Right. And so her auntie worked for six dollars a month for almost two years to save the one hundred and twenty five dollars she needed to buy Fanny's freedom. So she purchased Fanny's freedom and then sent her to Massachusetts to live with another aunt and go to school because she was so vested in Fanny's success. So Fanny went and lived with another family, uh, with her aunt in Massachusetts, and then she went to work for another family in Rhode Island, all while attending school. She really believed in education herself. So education was this ethos. Her aunt had believed in her. Her aunt felt she was smart and dedicated. And so 
you know, she, I think from a very young age, felt that people were vested in her success and that education was very important to her. So she ended up leaving the Calvert family, which was in Rhode Island, and then she went to Oberlin College in Ohio, which I've definitely heard of Oberlin. Yeah. Um, And so during this time, her aunt is still supporting her and, you know, Fanny is getting good grades. And then while at Oberlin in Ohio, she organized classes for newly freed slaves Uh, gave private music lessons and became the college's first black student teacher. When she graduated from Oberlin, she became one of the first African-American women in the United States to receive a college degree. Right. So this is like badass, right? Mm -hmm. Um, After she graduated, she was immediately hired for the Institute for Colored Youth in Philly, which is now known as Cheney University, which is an HBCU, historically black college university, Cheney University in 1865. Wow. Four years later, she became what they would call her print, their principal and uh, established a successful teaching program to help young African-Americans prepare for different trades. Later in life, she did get married to a reverend who, and this is a theme that we're seeing a lot, asked his new wife to give up teaching. Mm. She refused. <laughs> but she did get involved with missionary work and traveled with him doing missionary work. Um, she passed away in 1913, but not without leaving us with her autobiography, which is called Reminiscence of School Life and Hints on Teaching. Coppin State College is located in Baltimore, Maryland, and it was named in honor of her, um, who they call the former slave who became a dedicated teacher. Uh, I think one of my biggest takeaways with Miss Jackson at Coppin has to do with the community coming together and really believing in her and investing mm-hmm. in her and seeing something special in her and not letting that gift be lost due to circumstances. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't imagine what kind of a choice that must have been for her or grandfather to have made that only four of us, you know, six children would be able to afford to buy freedom for. Um, and then for her mother to then see that happen. And then, you know, her daughter is then also able to, you know, gain her freedom later on, but still be a part of the community and care and teach other African-American students and, you know, feel that sense of, I have to give back to my community. My community Mm -hmm. loves me. And I do have a quote by her and given the totality of understanding what you know, she went through and how she got to where she was, her quote really, I think, resonated with me for sure. In my classes, I felt that I had the honor of the whole African race upon my shoulders. I felt that should I fail, it would be ascribed to the fact that I was colored. Mm. So, What's interesting to me about that quote is that a lot of us feel that way when we are, quote unquote, others, that if we do something, one of us does something, it gets ascribed to the entire race, the entire gender, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, If a woman cries in the workplace, oh, women are so emotional. Right. 
Whereas if a white, if a white guy does something, it's just that guy. Those are his attributes. It's not mm-hmm. all white guys are like that. Um, so with that, she knew that there was um, a, a level of scrutiny that was being paid to her because of her race and because of her gender. But I also like the fact that she used the word, I had the honor, not the burden, the honor of our whole race on my shoulders. Because some people could look at that as a burden as well to say, why can't I just be looked at as myself? This is such a burden. And she said, no, Mm -hmm. I have an honor. I need to step up. I need to make sure that you know that I can do this. And if I can do this, my entire race can do this. Right. So Mm -hmm. it's unfortunate and as annoying as it is, she stepped into it instead of shying away from it. And to me, I mean, that that definitely plays a part in some of the issues that we see around police brutality and Black Lives Matter and looking at what they call respectability politics. Mm -hmm. Oh, if this person got shot by police, the first thing they do is bring out that person's, you know, did they have some type of jail record in the past or looking at other bad acts that they may have committed in the past as opposed to saying, this is an individual, this is someone whose rights may have been infringed. And Fanny steps into that and says, I get it. I know you're gonna judge us all. So I'm just gonna just shine that light and just do the best that I absolutely can so that hopefully it'll dispel some myths about what you think about my race. Mm-hmm. Um, I respect her a lot for that because it's not an easy burden. It's a, it is a burden, it is a burden. I'll be real frank about it, it is a burden. We deal with it. We step up to it. We deal with the respectability politics, but it's not fair. You know, it's not fair. But you know what it made like what I took away from that story. What it made me think about was here's somebody that is just stepping into her greatness. Mm-hmm. He's just like, yeah, it's hard. You know, um, you, you know, I'm I'm a coach and I, I coach women. And one of the conversations I often have with them is about embracing the suck mm-hmm. of it, of whatever it is that you're trying to achieve. And I think now in particular, we're such a culture of now, of, of convenience and expecting things to be quick, easy, and fun. And she kind of predates that culture mm-hmm. um, where she was able to immediately look at the situation and go, yeah, this, this is going to be hard. Mm-hmm. This is all hard. <laughs> it, mm-hmm. I, I have to work twice as hard as everyone else and people are expecting me to fail. And the first time I don't do something right, it's not just my mistake. It's a poor reflection on not only my community and my family, but it's a poor reflection on an entire race of people because of the context of that era, mm-hmm. right? But I think it takes a very courageous person and I think it takes a very strong person to just embrace the hard part of mm-hmm. it and, and not try to run from it. Um, because especially now in, in today's, if I apply that thinking to today's culture, we're just, we're just not taught to think that way. Right. We're taught to be like, you know, you got to make it short for everyone. Like mm-hmm. you got to knock it down to 10 words and mm-hmm. it can't be longer than 10 seconds and you got to make it super easy. Mm-hmm. And, 
in my own life, I've been pushing back against that because I'm like, wait a second. <laughs> I can't. A disservice. Yes, I can't. Yeah. I've started to tell my clients, like, I cannot, I cannot take the hard stuff away for you. Mm-hmm. I don't have a pill for you to swallow or a magic wand to wave. And you need to start embracing the sucky parts because that's where you learn the most. Mm-hmm. And, and so I'm just so inspired by her story because there there's none of that like I don't have I can't deal with the hard part I don't like you need to figure out how to make that easier for me people Mm -hmm. and she's just like yeah yeah it's hard (laughs) yep (laughs) and I love the communal nature of it I love that her aunties said we're gonna come together we're gonna take care of this girl this is our baby girl we're gonna make sure that she gets the education she needs she has the housing she needs she has the schooling she needs she's free she can read. She can go to school. You know, we're going to make sure that all of these things are going to happen for her. You know, um, my kids are, you know, in their late 20s and we sometimes have uh, conference calls between us. And there was a point at which one of them was going through something that was pretty rough. And I was like, you know what? We don't talk about this enough, but we're going to live like immigrants and we're going to come together collectively because I think some of that got lost in our American individualism. And there are people who come here from other countries and they band together and they make it work because it's for the greater good of all of us to come together. To, to make sure that everybody is successful and to invest in each other. And we look at that as an immigrant ethos, but this, these are people who are born here in the United States. Yeah. And they looked at each other and they said, this baby girl is smart and we're going to come together. We're gonna, I'm going to save my little $6 and I'm going to buy her freedom. $125 is a lot of money mm-hmm. in those days, right? In yeah. For a teenage girl. So, you know, I'm going to come to, we're going to make this happen and we're going to send her up north even farther so she can't, you know, be back into slavery and she can have her education. And I think that that's really important, that 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 communal piece of it that we look at now in the 2000s as, oh, that's an immigrant culture. These are African-American people born Mm -hmm. on U.S. soil who came together collectively, communally to say, we're going to make sure that everybody is okay. And she's okay because she's special. Yeah. Um, And it's, it's also, I love that, that aspect of when, when you are in a position to do so, or even if you're not just like doing anything you can to bring someone along with you, Yeah, you know, when, you know, it's, it's that old quote, I'm, I'm here, but for, if not, but for standing on the shoulders of giants, I can't remember exactly how it goes, that exact quote, but everybody got to be somewhere because of someone else. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. none of us are, are out here doing it all alone. No one is. Well, I, <laughs> I know there's an African proverb that if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go with others. Yes. Yeah. So I, I totally love that. So that is Fanny Jackson Coppin, uh, who Coppin State uh, University is named after in Coppin State College. Sorry, Coppin State College in Baltimore. <laughs> Baltimore <laughs> named after Miss Fanny Jackson Coppin. It's pretty phenomenal. Well, I'm glad that we got to learn about Fanny Jackson. I never heard of her before. No, ever. I know. I know. Exactly. I knew the name. 
But, um, you know, I knew the name Coppin State just because I lived in the D.C. area. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I'm really excited to have learned more about her. So thank you for that. That's what she did because she did that. <laughs> yeah, she did that. And to your earlier point, Michelle, just because a name is on a building doesn't mm-hmm. mean that it came from a man. Oh, exactly. <laughs> you better do some Googling. Well, I can't wait till we have a Harriet Tubman on some greenbacks because then we really yes. <laughs> we made it. That's what she did. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thank you for sharing that story. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in and learning about Fanny Jackson along with me. I so appreciate that. And as usual, I want to remind you that if you have a story to tell or you have a story to share about someone else, we want to hear it. So write to us at that's what she did podcast at gmail.com. We want to know all about you. We will see you on the next episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Absolutely. And happy Women's History Month. Yay. Yay. (laughs) See you next time. Or you'll hear us next time. Yeah, they'll hear us next time. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Bye.